blowing it really big. Now, I don't mean like running your car out of oil and it burns up on the side of the road, but I mean you've missed God. Maybe walked in the opposite direction calling you. Maybe dove headfirst into the sin that he had delivered you from. I'm glad I'm not alone. That would have been embarrassing. Well, I believe that uh, this word is for you today, for us, for us, amen? As I was preparing to preach the beginning of the week and, you know, kind of probably most preachers do the same thing, especially those using a lectionary, you read through the scriptures and you read through them and you ask God to speak to you and God kept drawing my heart to Peter, to Peter, to Peter. So if you would open your Bible to the Gospel of John in chapter 21, that's going to be primarily what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we probably know a little bit more about Peter than most of the disciples because, well, quite honestly, Peter talked a lot, didn't he? And he talked a lot sometimes without thinking too much, it seems. And I don't want to take too much liberty here, but I thank God that we get to know Peter in his word. Because I think if we spend some time with Peter in God's word, we see a reflection of ourselves. And most importantly, we see the depth of God's love and mercy. In the sixth chapter of John, if you kind of remember the scene, Jesus is giving one of his hard teachings about something about his body and blood, right? And about eating them and abiding. And quite honestly, it says that many of the followers simply said, this is just too hard a teaching. And he left. And Jesus, looking directly at his disciples, said to them, Do you want to leave also? And Peter, in his, well, just in who he was, answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, your servant Peter was so right. You have the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, we come not to hear my words, but to hear your word. We come as people who have so many times gone in the wrong direction and blown it really big. We've heard your voice and headed the other direction. Who've found ourselves once again enslaved to sins. And yet you call again and again. For your love is immeasurable. And so we ask, Lord, on this day that you would speak to us anew, that you would stir in our hearts what it is that you want us to hear. And that your will would be done in our lives. 
that we might draw close to you, that we might learn what it means to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, that you might be glorified. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I'm actually going to go a little bit... I'm going to start out, I'm going to start off with the gospel that was read this morning, but we're going to actually look a little bit later because one of the things I think if you really look at this passage, the passage before Jesus has met the disciples in the upper room for the second time. And this time, if you remember, Thomas is there, and I believe that was the gospel last week. And this week, we find Jesus, and Scripture simply says, afterward... It happened this way. And that's kind of interesting. It's the only time you... It's like I, I did one of those searches. It's the only time you see that in the Gospels. And it happened this way. So there's this story that's about to unfold. And in this morning's Gospel, Jesus is walking along the shore. And the disciples have gone fishing. Now Peter... We don't really know what's happened with Peter. We know that... During the Passion, during the Crucifixion, we know that Peter was there. And we know that he denied the Lord three times. And we know that that after that, his heart was so grieved that he wept, Scripture says. And we know that for some reason, the Lord must have known what was going on in Peter's heart. Because when Jesus is raised from the dead and the women go to the tomb... The Gospel of Mark records that when the women arrive there, there's a man dressed in white, more than likely an angel. And he says to the women, go tell his disciples and Peter. And so, like I said, I don't want to assume too much, but obviously there was something going on. Jesus was trying to say something directly to Peter by that whole thing. And now Jesus has appeared twice to the disciples in the upper room. And Peter was there, but there's been really no dialogue with Peter. And so I truly believe that this whole scene is about Jesus coming to Peter. I mean, yes, there is this wonderful miracle. And he comes to, not all of the disciples are there. It It basically, scripture says that there were seven of them there. And they must have been those that were fishermen. And you have to kind of wonder, there's a whole lot of mystery involved in this text, isn't there? One, why were they fishing? Jesus had called them to do something else, to be fishers of men, hadn't he? He had placed a call in their lives, and yet they were fishing. I think we can be that way sometimes. When we've blown it really big, when we've walked away from the Lord, when we are finding ourselves once again enslaved to the sins that sometimes can so drive us, we just want normality, don't we? And quite honestly, we don't really want the Lord dealing with us sometimes. And the easiest thing in the world is to go back to what is normal and comfortable for us, 
And so I can't imagine for Peter there would have been any world more comfortable for him than fishing. It was what he knew. It was a chance to get away from all of that and to do what he knew how to do well. And I know I've been there before. I enjoy working with my hands. I think probably I got it from my father. I'm not really particularly good at any one thing, but I can generally kind of muddle my way through. My dad grew up during the Depression. And I grew up in a home where, one, my dad never hired anyone to do anything. And secondly, my dad never threw anything away. Now, that did not mean that we had a house or garage full of stuff that didn't work. My dad would spend sometimes insane amounts of time trying to restore something that probably should have been thrown away. Okay? Um, and kids today, you probably would not understand this. We had the same washer and dryer in our house from the time I was born until I left to go in the Navy in my teens. Okay. I can remember one time there was some little squeak or something in the car or the dashboard. And for three weeks, my father <laughs> tore the dashboard of the car apart. It was spread all over the garage. And my father was an educator. I mean, he was not in any way a mechanic or anything. It's just that he grew up in a time when that's what you did. You simply did not have money to go out and buy a new something. You either figured out to how to make what you work have work. And so I grew up with that. And so I would say over the years, I've kind of even at times become proud about that. You know, I can get something working again. I can fix it. And my tendency, I believe, like Peter's, is to run back to that. Well, if this is all just getting too complicated or God's asking me to do something I, I'm really not sure about or I'm uncomfortable stretching me like standing up here this morning, I would really rather go work on something. So just let something be broke so I don't have to deal with what God is calling me to. And I believe this morning... In this passage, Jesus went seeking out Peter. Because Jesus loved Peter that much. Even in the midst of that pain of being rejected by Peter, Jesus still loved him. And the reality of it is, I think G- Peter's response, the other part of the mystery of this gospel this morning, right? It says that they didn't recognize him. Now, they weren't out very far. It tells us a little bit later. They're out about 100 yards. And if you look at commentaries, there's a whole lot of things. Maybe there was a fog. Maybe they were a little bit too far out. Maybe their eyesight. Maybe they just didn't recognize Jesus because it wasn't the moment that he wanted them to, or they didn't recognize his glorified body. Who knows? There's that mystery, right? And even when they come in, after they've caught all of these fish, right? A miracle that they've actually seen before, it says they didn't really want to ask him, is that, is that, really, is that you, Jesus? But somehow they knew that it was Jesus. And so it's this very kind of shrouded in mystery. And so they have this meal with the Lord. And the very next line, 
And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, I'm not sure, did he mean more than these other guys that are with you? Because I'm sure if Peter's anything like I am, when I have walked away from the Lord, when I found myself once again in bondage to the things he's delivered me from, I really don't see myself in a very good light, do I? Because if the enemy loves to do anything, it is to remind us of our brokenness. It is to remind us and to even say to us, to whisper in our ear, those sins, your failure, that's all you are. And that's all you'll ever be. And so I don't know if Jesus was pointing to the other disciples when he said that. Or maybe he was pointing to the fishing boats. Do you love me more than all these things? What's familiar to you? What you feel comfortable with? Where you're at right now? And we know what Peter responds. You know that I love you. I think that Peter was so lovesick for the Lord. If you remember his very response when John says to him after they catch all of these fish and he says to Peter, I think it's the Lord. What does Jesus do? He dives into the water. He grabs his cloak because he's been working and sweating and all of that. He grabs his cloak and he dives into the water and they say that it's a very short distance so it's not, he probably didn't even get there any quicker quite honestly. Because basically the picture we get is that, yeah, they're hauling in the nets in the boat right next to it by the time Peter gets in. But he's so lovesick for the Lord. He's so long been separated. And even though he's seen the Lord in the upper room, there's still the elephant in the room. That separation. His denial. Quite awesome. His walking away from the Lord, even though the others had been involved too, Peter was the only one, if you remember, that had said, Lord, if everyone else depart you, I will not. Do you love me more than these other men? Maybe that brought to mind Peter's boastful promise that whatever the others did, he would not fail. How many times do we even brag enthusiastically all of the things that we're going to do for the Lord, how God is going to use us? And yet when that time of testing comes, sometimes we find ourselves cowering in the corner. The little header in my Bible says, it calls this scripture the reinstatement of Peter. And I guess that's not a bad thing, but I think the really important thing is we come to a place that we understand even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our failures, God loves us. God is calling us to himself and 
He has a purpose for us. You notice God's purpose for Peter never left him. And in a few minutes, I'm going to kind of close. We're going to look at a couple of passages from 1 Peter that have been in the lectionary this past week during the daily readings. And in Peter, we will see a life transformed despite his failures. And it is no different for us. God desires to transform our lives, but they only can be transformed when we are willing to surrender to his love, to realize that he loves us in the midst of our failures and even in the midst of our sins. In fact, John tells us, Scripture tells us, that God is love. Is that me? Do I need to stand like really still? Oh, okay. Because I lost my cincture somewhere. So I had to use one of the kids, and I'm a little bit, you know, bigger around than they are. And I really started looking through Scripture and praying about, Lord, would you show me? Because first of all, teaching about love, well, that's the whole Bible. So where exactly do you begin and where do you end? You begin in Genesis and you end in Revelation. But that's a pretty broad thing. And so I said, Lord, what is it? When Scripture says that you are love, what does that mean? And of course, the Lord pointed me to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But maybe in a different way than I had ever seen it before. You see, that chapter takes place when Paul is talking to a church that is divided, yet they believe they have everything. They're charismatic. If you remember, they're sharing all things. There's a lot of good things going on in the church. There's a lot of powerful things going on in the church. As far as we know from reading 1 Corinthians, there's prophetic words going on. There's the gift of tongues. There's all of these things going on, and yet there is a brokenness in the church. And the failure really is to love one another. They've gotten so wrapped up kind of in who they are. If you remember, there's a point in Corinthians, you know, certain ones are saying that they're followers of so-and-so, and other ones are followers of Paul, and all of these things going on. And Paul calls them to task, and he says to them, listen, I'm going to tell you what real love is. And I think sometimes we think we have that figured out. But there is only one way that we can love like this. And that is if Christ is in us. Love is patient. It isn't kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You see, when Jesus came for Peter, Peter had already been forgiven. Really, for the Lord, nothing had ever changed. His calling on Peter's life, his love for Peter, none of that had changed. Now, his sin was sin. And it does matter. I think sometimes we 
can sometimes in the church, because we really want to preach about God's love and forgiveness, we almost act as if sin is not important. Sin was important. Sin was crushing the life out of Peter, wasn't it? The enemy was using it to rob Peter of who he was called to be in Christ. It was using it to rob Peter of his joy. And all Peter could do was go back to fishing. But Jesus came for Peter because Jesus loved him and never gives up. According to Pastor Robert Cunningham, love describes the deepest longing and desires of the human heart. And contrary to Western Enlightenment, which views us as minds compelled by our thoughts, the Bible views us as lovers compelled by our loves. Ideas certainly inform our loves, but ultimately we are what we love. That's why at the beginning of each and every liturgy, we are reminded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with your strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. We are what we love. We can have all kinds of nice thoughts about Scripture, about God, about Jesus. We can make that mental choice that, yes, I know this is truth and I believe it, but we are what we love. And we cannot love Jesus until we fully begin to grasp his love for us. Peter, for all of his failures, did love the Lord. And Jesus, by his very nature, loved without pretense. He does not love us because we are lovable. One of the books that I picked up that I've been trying to read for a number of years, it's one of C.S. Lewis's books. It's probably one of his more difficult books to read. It's called The Four Loves. And one of the things that I really, really like about C.S. Lewis is he seems to really understand the brokenness of humanity. Maybe it was his own journey, I don't know. But he really seems to understand our struggles with understanding God, with grasping his love for us. And he writes this, Though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference. And therefore, it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us and at whatever cost to him. One poet in the 1930s, I believe, wrote a poem and he likened Jesus to the hound of heaven. He loves us so much that he will pursue us into the depths wherever we go. He will not let go. And he will do whatever it takes. He will cause whatever it takes to happen in our lives for that sin to lose its power and dominion over us. No matter what it cost us and no matter what it cost him. It wasn't too many weeks ago that we were reminded of what it cost him. 
May we never lose that. And so it is in Jesus alone that man's greatest need is found. The need to be loved. It is also in Jesus that our greatest calling is found. The calling to love. In this discussion with Peter, Jesus says to him these three times, you love me, and we could get into the Greek. He uses a couple of different terms for love. And interestingly enough, Jesus, the first couple of times, is using the word for divine love or agape love. And Peter is responding with more of a brotherly love. And I think we get a picture of that, how little we really understand God's love. And so Peter was responding in the way that he could. You know I love you. You know I love you. I walked all those months with you, those years with you. I went through all of that stuff with you. And Jesus really says to him, if you really love me, then I've called you to love. I've called you to love my sheep. To feed them, which is that picture of leading them to pastor. We think about preaching the word of God and understanding who God is. But he's also called Peter to shepherd them. And shepherding brings to mind a whole lot of other pictures, right? About the, the seeking out the one in 99 who wanders off. The going and doing whatever it takes to keep the flock together. You see, God's love transforms us. I don't believe Peter could have ever been what God had called him to be if he had not gone through the things that he went through. Now that is not to say that God caused Peter to sin, to deny him or any of that. But that God redeems even our brokenness. And God redeemed even Peter's failures, so that Peter could then love others. So that he could bring lost sheep back into the fold. So that he could preach from a place that others would understand. So that he could minister to the body of Christ. And it is so if you look at the lives of those who have served God. I just read... This last week, a story about um, Chuck Colson. And I know many of you know who Chuck Colson is. He was, for lack of a better term, a very proud man. I mean, he had done it all by the time he was 30 years old. He had been a Marine Corps captain, had accumulated a certain amount of wealth. But more importantly, he had accumulated great political power. In fact, his office was next to the office of the President of the United States. The problem with Chuck was, is he became blinded by all of that. And he began to believe, despite what he had known growing up, despite all of the things that had been instilled in him all of his life, that the ends justified the means. That it was okay to do whatever needed to be done to get the job done. In his book, Born Again, 
he describes a scene in where a friend of his gives him a book, and it happens to be a C.S. Lewis book entitled Mere Christianity. And he reads one line in there, and God breaks his heart and begins to transform his life. A proud man is always walking through life looking down on other people and other things. And as a result, he cannot see something about himself immeasurably superior, God. And it was in that moment that not only did Chuck Colson realize his brokenness before God, but also came to realize God's love for him. And for many of you, you may know that Chuck Colson passed away a few years ago, but he began, he actually did prison time for the things that he did as an assistant to the President of the United States. But through all of this, God would call him, like Peter, to feed his sheep. It just so happens those sheep were all incarcerated in prisons and Chuck Colson would be called to minister to them. Today, millions, millions of prisoners, not just in the United States, but throughout the world, have been affected by Chuck Colson's life. Because God took a broken man and through his love transformed his life to what God had always called him to be about. Now, loving others is the other side of the coin, and I kind of want to close with that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we read this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so no matter what we're going through and we came here today, we came here because we have that inexpressible joy in us, don't we? That though we have not seen Him, we believe. And we believe that He is working out His plan of salvation in each of our lives and in the life of His church. That should be enough to bring us here. Amen? And so when the enemy wants us to hide, wants us to just go back to fishing or fixing stuff, or whatever it is. We are constantly being reminded by His love that He is calling us, calling us to remember that He loves us, that He has a plan for us, and that He's working that plan out. In verse 22, Peter continues, And now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply and from the heart. But love is costly, isn't it? Real love is always an act of the will. It is not really about our feelings. And I think sometimes, I'm not going to go a whole lot into that today, and maybe I'll have an opportunity to preach in a couple weeks, and we'll go a little further into that. 
But real love is always an act of the will. Too often times, I think, in the church, love for us is about feelings. And so we get offended with somebody or hurt by them. What happens? We stay away from that person. We find our own little corner. We maybe even move our pew. Can you imagine that? But that's not how Jesus loves us. And that's not the kind of love he called Peter to, and it's not the kind of love that he calls us to. God the Father, out of his love for mankind, sent his only Son to live as one of us. And Jesus, out of love for the Father and for us, was nailed to a cross. And when we come to know God's love for us, we cannot help but be transformed. And our love should come to the place where it begins to look a whole lot more like his love. I close with this very brief passage from a sermon preached over 1,600 years ago by a man by the name of Saint now St. Chrysostom. What goodness, what all-surpassing love is shown to us and shown to humanity showing no regard for the honor rightly his, he calls us to pour forth love toward our neighbor. Jesus does not even receive the sacrifice of worship without the sacrifice of love. You see, love is a sacrifice. Love for us and all of our darkness led Jesus to the cross We all want to be loved. It is essential to being human. As Christians, if there is anything we should know, it is that we are loved unconditionally. That Jesus will go to every length to speak love into our lives. And our response should simply be an overflow of God's love in us. Heavenly Father, we cannot fathom the height or the width or the depth of your love for your people. And Lord, even when we fall short and we hear the enemy accusing us and bringing to mind again and again our failures, you come for us. Lord, give us ears to hear you. Give us eyes to recognize when it is you coming. And Lord, so change our heart that our will is to love others as you first loved us. That we might be the people you have called us to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll move really slowly so that doesn't make all that noise.